I knew I wanted to have something more of an asset instead of another job. And I knew that I wanted something that had systems and processes in place, like I saw with other businesses that were listed, the ones that got the highest price points, they were the ones saying that the owner only worked five to 10 hours a week. Welcome to Profit and Prosper, a podcast for entrepreneurs who are ready to make some money while doing what they love. On this podcast, we're going to pull back the curtain and talk about all things business and money, but I promise you this is not your typical boring numbers talk. I'm your host, Sarah Young, a CPA and CFO with over a decade of experience in finance, business, and leadership. I'm going to share everything I've learned from helping my clients grow more profitable businesses and keep more of what they earn while growing my own successful business along the way. You'll feel empowered and confident that you too can grow your wealth, live a rich life, and have an impact. Stick with me and you might even start to think that finance is fun. Let's dive in. Welcome back. Y'all, this week I have another really great guest interview for you with Shanice Miller. Shanice is a business productivity consultant specializing in project management, and she helps clients ranging from small startups to multi-million dollar businesses save hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars. Her passion for identifying and solving inefficiencies began when she sold her first business, which was an education consultancy that had been recognized in Forbes and BET at a less than premium price point because she didn't have her systems and processes streamlined and documented. Over the last 10 years, Shanice has used her ability to identify operational inefficiencies and create solutions to not only help her clients' businesses, but also to fall in love with their businesses again. So it's not often that we get to hear from somebody who has actually sold their business. I know people who have sold their businesses, but a lot of them are, you know, retired and don't necessarily want to be here recording podcast interviews. So I was super excited to get Shanice on the podcast to talk about her experience selling her business and how she could have potentially made more money out of selling her business and how she now helps people in their own businesses implement the exact things that would have given her more money in terms of her sales price. So whether you think you want to sell your business or if you just want to be able to step out of running on the day-to-day hamster wheel in your business, this episode is for you. Shanice and I talked about what made her feel like she just had to get out of her first business. She had had enough and what what caused all of that to happen. We talked about her story of selling her business and what things she could have done to get literally six figures more from selling it. We talked about the two areas you need to focus on to create more profits and to create a business that somebody else can step into. And we even did a totally unplanned mini case study on one of my problem areas that I'm currently experiencing in my business. So I think this will be a really great interview for you. I can't wait for you to listen. Welcome back y'all to this week's episode. I'm so excited to talk to Shanice Miller of the Tassley Group about her experience in her business, helping other business owners with operations and productivity and project management, but specifically We are really lucky because she has experience in selling a business, and so we are going to get to hear from her about what that was like and how you might be able to do that in your business and how to get the most money, the most bang for your buck when you do sell. So Shanice, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I absolutely love your mission of making finance fun, and I just think we have so much in common with our love for finance. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. I I do. I like to make finance fun and approachable. So more women like the ones I work with and like you and like how you work with other women business owners, like so we can put more money in our pocket, including 
selling your business, right? Yeah. So I've had a, an episode a few weeks back talking about exit strategies. And um, I think it'll be really interesting to talk about how you get money from that because that can result if you structure things the right way. It can result in hundreds of thousands of dollars, in some cases, millions of dollars going into your pocket, right? Yeah. And so I'm so excited to talk to you about this. So first though, tell us about what you do now in the Taskly group. So now I help business owners to automate their processes, free up their time, scale their businesses, and get a higher price when they go to sell their business. But I didn't really always start like this. What I started off as, as an educational consultant, and I was trying to do everything in my business. I was the marketer. I was into sales. I was doing the customer service. I was running the Facebook ads, doing the client work. And all of that work just quickly got me burnt out. And I really thought about closing my business. But then I had like this little voice inside of me that just said, hey, try to sell it instead of closing it up and see what happens. So I just quickly listed my business on an online marketplace and I waited and I got some offers and interest immediately, but those offers were just nowhere near what I thought my business was worth. Wow. So that is a really interesting backstory. And I think it's especially interesting how you have turned that around and have started a new business, helping people to do the things that you learned from the first go around. First and foremost, let's just like start with the beginning of what made you, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but like specifically what made you decide, like, I have had enough, I can't do this anymore and I want to get out of my business. <laughs> I think what a lot of us can relate to this part is usually when you have that one angry customer, like you could be doing so much good, but then you just have this one customer and literally um, I was helping her out. Um, and once again, this is an educational consulting business. And so I was helping, I was doing a lot of reviews. I was doing the one-on-one -on -one coaching. And at the end of the, it all, she goes, none of it worked. I want my money back. And I said, well, you know, I told you to do step one, step two, step three, and step four. Did you do all four steps? And she goes, no, I didn't think step two and step three would work. I only did step one and step four. <laughs> and I said, you know, we do give people their money back, but you have to do step one, step two, step three, and step four. And she was so irate, so upset. Oh, it's a scam. And it just really hurts your heart that you put so much energy and effort into helping people. And when they don't want to take the full advice or when they try to give you the negative reviews and it kind of, it's sad, but it overshadows all of the other good reviews and all the other things you've helped people with, because I literally helped so many people were getting so many different testimonials of how I was helping them, but just, I guess, doing it all just by myself and then getting that one negative review review was kind of like the icing on the cake. You were just like, this is not it for me anymore. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know we can all relate to negative feedback. I will be very straightforward and say, I am a perfectionist at heart. I am a people pleaser at heart. I do not like negative feedback. And I actually, I've been trying to learn more about just like how our brains work. Right. And I think it's so interesting how you can have a thousand happy customers. Mm -hmm. And then you get that one comment and like the way that our brains are wired is to like keep you safe from potential threats. And you view that as a threat. And so your brain focuses on that one thing. And it takes a lot of work, I think, to like step back and focus on the good stuff. So, I mean, I've worked with a ton of clients who were going through burnout too. And I think when you are, to your point, doing all the things all the time, um, you almost have a job, right? Instead of being a business owner. That's, you, you that's the away. other part. Yes. I definitely felt like I traded in one job for another job. So I think you know, from there. So as the backstory, let me make sure I've got it all. You were working all the time in your business, doing a ton of hats, got a negative feedback from somebody and you were like, you know what? Call. I don't want to do this. <laughs> I work with a lot of people who, when I ask them about what are you going to do with your business? A lot of them will say, especially women will say, I think I'll just kind of shut it down one day. What made you decide to sell? 
So I think I'm a person who just loves to do a lot of reading and research. Um, so I think I came across a couple of people who had sold their businesses and I had that idea kind of like in the back of my mind saying like, hmm, maybe this is something, an option or so. And I actually thought my, my initial thought was to shut down the business. But then I decided, let me just throw it up on this website. It's not going to hurt because weighing your options, if I shut it down, I would get no money. But if I at least put it on the website and got a few bucks or something like that, even though because I was planning on shutting it down anyways, then at least I got something for it. So I said, hey, you know, it's to me, my personal perspective is it never hurts but to try. Mm -hmm. And so I just put it on the website to see what was going on. And there were a lot of people who were messaging me. There were people who were trying to give lowball offers, of course. <laughs> and I did get a lot of traction in that first month that I had it listed. My husband and I, we are constantly looking for things to invest in. And one of those things we're interested in doing is buying a small, you know, business that we can sort of turn around and make more money off of. And so for people listening who are like, oh, I didn't realize there were sites online you can buy and sell businesses. The ones that come to mind are bizbysell.com, I think is one. Flippa is another one. Um, I think those are two of the bigger ones. But yes, they're they're literally, it's like a marketplace where people list their businesses on there to sell. Right? So I don't think I revealed this to you, but you hit on a, a nail on the head because after I sold this business, I said, oh, I want to buy a, a business that's established and then sell it as well. Yeah. Um, so I actually bought another established business after that and then sold it. <laughs> so seeing, you know, that process that was interesting to come into someone else's business. And yes, those are definitely the two biggest platforms, Flippa. That's what I use to put my company on. I use other marketplaces as well. Um, investors Club. Is one of the big ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ah, how much do I want to like put out there for promoting somebody else's business? Mm -hmm. But um Empire Flippers, they're another big company as well. I didn't realize that you had bought and sold another one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're going to be friends after yeah. this. Because, okay, here's why I say this. I think that a lot of women, especially, I think this idea of selling a business or buying a business feels like something that is reserved for the rich people, right? Or for, mm -hmm. you know, it's like something that the like old white dudes do, <laughs> frankly, or that like, you know, the men in like suits who are like all corporate investment banker types that they do, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not true. It's not. And, it, and it, it may be that like they do a lot of those because they tend to have a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother conversation that we can have probably. But like, it is available to you too, right? Yes. When I actually listed my company on that online marketplace, um, I saw just how wide of a range companies were going for. Of course, like they had little websites and things like that, starting from a couple thousand dollars all the way up to millions of dollars. But there was a wide range of just different types of websites, depending on how much money you want to invest and how much money that company was making and also um, there are just a lot of little items, like how long has the company been around that would determine how much the price point of the, of the, of the company was, or, you know, did they have steady, consistent income? There was a wide range. And I think a lot more people could buy companies if they just kind of take, took a look at what was actually available instead of just assuming it was too much or out of their budget. 100% to all of that. Um, and, you know, we, you can start small, right? Like you don't have to buy one for millions of dollars. Like there's one listed on these sites that you might be able to pay cash for, right? Yes. You can start small and then build it up and turn around and sell it maybe at a profit or mm -hmm. keep it and collect the cash flow, right? The options are endless. How do you know you're ready to hire a CFO? How do you know you'll get a return on a big investment like that? I know that you need a CFO when your business gets to be too big and has too many moving parts for you to be able to handle all of your finances. When you don't have a solid financial strategy in place and you would love to start investing and building your wealth, becoming more of a business owner instead of working a job in your business, but you just don't know where to start and aren't getting enough support from your bookkeeper or tax accountant. 
I'm on a mission to help more business owners become millionaires and to have more financial power. And we do that by increasing your cash flow and the value of your business, investing in the right things to grow and systematize everything, including paying you a regular CEO salary, of course, and then putting your profits into other assets that will in turn give you even more cash flow and passive income and potentially save you some tax money. Our CFO service is a very hands-on service for quickly growing six and seven figure businesses where you get an integrated finance team, including me as your CFO in your back pocket, all focused on making you more profitable. We'll handle your financial strategy, accounting, and taxes so you can turn your business into a wealth generating engine. If you are ready to add a CFO to your team, you can read more about what we do at trustyoungco.com forward slash CFO and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page where you can book a free call with me. I want to revisit this idea of you felt like you had a job in your business. So I've said this a few times and on the podcast, on my Instagram, but I think there's a very big difference between being the CEO of your business and wearing all the hats and having an asset, right? And it takes a lot of work to create an asset out of a business. And so an asset, by my definition, is something that produces cash flow for you. And if you want it to be an asset that produces passive income, meaning it produces cash flow independent of your time, right? That takes a lot of work to do, but I would say that's probably more a more valuable business. So I'm curious from your experience, you know, both selling your business and then looking at buying other ones, like what impact did that have on your, well, like what the value that you got out of it by having one that you basically had a job? That thought is actually what led me to purchase that other business that I had. I felt like I had built up my business in a way where I had a job. And maybe if I bought another business, they would have those things in place where it wouldn't be a job and I could actually be in that CEO position. So that's <laughs> that was the thought process. I knew I wanted to have something more of an asset instead of another job. And I knew that I wanted something that had systems and processes in place. Like I saw with other businesses that were listed, um, they always, the ones that got the highest price points, um, they were the ones that were saying that the owner only worked five to 10 hours a week. And that was exactly like what I was striving for. Like, how can I get to only working five to 10 hours a week? But still making money, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I think that, you know, since you sold your business and that wasn't the case because you were the one having to do all the work, right? Like the buyer, they're looking at you, at your business, like, this is going to be a huge project, right? Mm -hmm. And that brings down the sales price because they're, when people buy a business, they're not buying it based on, well, they're, they're considering the future cash flow. That's the value proposition is in the future, what could this business do? But if that future cash flow is contingent on them coming in and doing a bunch of work, right, to get the systems built out and hire a team and grow the revenue, then that may go into their consideration of this is what I could get out of it in the future, but you aren't going to get paid for that because they are the ones who are going to have to do the work, right? That's so correct. And that's what I noticed as well when I went to sell my business. I started wondering, like, why was my business only getting these lowball offers? And I started looking through other listings that were listed that had a less monthly profit than what I had, but they were getting higher offers and they were getting selling for a higher amount. And so I was like, what is the difference? So when I looked through those listings, I saw that those listings had systems in place. Uh, they had processes. Some of them had other employees. Some of them were software as a service, meaning they already had a particular software, a, a computer program that did the work for them. And all you need to really do was do the marketing or do the customer service. So I noticed that pattern. And it made me think back to when I was buying my first house and my mom told me for your first house, you don't want a house that you need to have a lot of repairs. You want what's called, and she said it was a turnkey home where you just stick the key into the door and you're ready to move in. You don't have to worry about a leaky roof. 
You don't have to think about patching holes in the walls, redoing the kitchen or the bathrooms. You're just able to walk into the house and just move your furniture right on in. That was turnkey. And that's exactly what people want when they're going to buy businesses. They want a turnkey business, something that, like I said earlier, you're only working five to 10 hours a week as the owner. You have those processes and those systems in place that's going to help you to just drop this off from one owner to the next. And that company would keep moving like nothing ever interrupted it. Yes. So basically it's the different, like it takes a special type of person who's willing to flip a house, right? Because there's a lot of risk involved in that because so many things can go wrong and there's no difference in buying a business that needs to be flipped, right? Definitely. A lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of money is going to go into flipping that. And so if you have the turnkey house to your point, like you are going to get drastically more money. And I mean, it sounds like for you, you think that with your business, it was to the tune of potentially six figures in a sales price, right? It was. So I ended up selling for a five-figure profit, but I definitely could have gotten six figures. I think that one one comment is, I think the fact that you decided to sell it and get five figures out of it is amazing because so many people in your shoes would have just walked away. And I think, I don't know if we were recording when we were talking about this, but you said you didn't have a ton of debt or really any debt in your business. Yes. And so- That certainly helps, right? Because anything you sell it for is just straight cash in your pocket versus some of my clients, some of the people we work with have debt. So if they do walk away, they're going to have to pay that debt back, right? Or if they do sell it, the sale, a portion of the sales price is going to go to paying off debt. So I say that's amazing that you did that in the first place, because I would rather get five figures than no figures. Yes, (laughs) I did too. (laughs) Here's my question. I know this is what you work on now with your clients, right? What are the things that you could have done to get six figures in a sales price instead of five? I would say the first thing is I would have set up systems in my business early on instead of keeping everything in my head. And those systems, like I said, it would help my business to become labeled that turnkey business. Um, The second thing I also would have done was to hire someone like you to do a cash flow intensive to help me really focus more on my financials and my financial strategy. You hear that? (laughs) Anybody, anybody listening? Yes. Finances are key. They, they really are. So systems to not have them all in your head, get your finances in order and not necessarily even just like bookkeeping, right? But understanding the big picture strategy of how to increase your profit because the sales price, right? I've talked about this in the previous episode, but the sales price of your business is going to be based on a multiple of that profit, right? So if you can take your profit from $10,000 to $100,000, you will get 10 times more in a sales price, right? Yeah. And it's, it is insane. Like, because the, there's a multiple on the profit. And so the multiple will be, let's say three times. And so any incremental profit you add, you're going to get three times that back in the sales price. So not only are you making more profit along the way, but you're also going to like massively increase the potential sales price. So I think systems, financial stuff. I think I got excited when you said people needed to hire somebody like me. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. The finances is a very big part of selling your business for a profit because you need that financial strategy to have that plan, that roadmap to take you to where you want to go. Yes. Was there, is there anything else that you would do that you would prioritize outside of those? Well, you know, my main thing is system. So I think I'm a little bit biased, but I really do think that systems make the world go round. And this is something that I do cover more in depth in the three steps to automating your business mini training that I'm going to give your listeners for free. Um, So really with adding the systems to their business, um, this is something that I work with clients on doing. And we want to make sure that we are documenting everything so that it helps your business to automate your processes, to delegate tasks to other people. It helps you to free up your time, prevent errors. It helps to scale your business. So those are really the big main things. I mean, there are some small things, but the core things are to make sure that you have those systems in place and to make sure that you have those finances in place as well. Yes. Do you think that you need a team member 
to be able to sell successfully? I don't think that you need a team member to be able to sell successfully, um, but I do think that it does help. Um, it helps to it helps to have someone that you can delegate the work with. I actually work with a client and she was having issues with wanting to give up delegating that work to somebody else. She thought that someone else couldn't quite do the work as good as she could and that she might lose clients. And I'm sure that you've probably encountered the same thing. And I actually had that same thought as well. I was so busy holding on to everything that I didn't realize how overworked I was becoming from trying to do it all myself. But we do need help. <laughs> it, it's hard to start to delegate things, but once you learn how to do it, I think it just opens up so much possibility for what you can do with your time. And again, it goes back to, I think, having an asset, which is what I would define as like your business producing cash flow independent of your time. Yes. And I think to do that, you need the systems in place. And you also need to have people who can execute on some of the things that you don't have to step in and do that every single day. I agree. And the reason I say I don't think you always need an employee or so is because there are so many automations. So one of the clients that I worked with, it was in the financial industry. We were working with her to get an employee on, but we also added a lot of automations into the system. So once we documented all her processes, we really got out of her mind like, okay, what are the tasks that you always do? What are the things that you always ask every client that you have? And she could start to see as we were laying all of this out and, and plugging it into our tool um, that she was doing the same things with each client. And if she felt like when once we got her comfortable enough that she saw all of her things were written like in a checklist form and that could be handed off to somebody else. And if they checked off that they did each one of those tasks, then she was more comfortable saying, okay, this person is able to do the same things that I can do. And that helped her to release some of that control. And then we added automation for her to be able to get an alert to review before it went out to the client. So then she could feel even more comfortable. And then we added a dashboard um, onto everything so that she could have that oversight without micromanaging the employee to see where they were, if they were getting stuck on anything, if something was going to be late so that she can still give those clients that value and deliver them that same quality of work that she had. But then she would feel more comfortable with letting go of those things. So automations can really save you 30 hours or more in time because we are doing redundant tasks all the time, like emails, follow-ups, checking in on other employees. And then you can have an employee to help you with the client work. I know you have probably heard this too. I have so many clients who say, what we do is customized. Mm -hmm. I do something different for every client. There's no way I can streamline my packages. There's mm -hmm. no way I can switch to a monthly retainer, right? Because I come in and I talk about how can you get monthly recurring revenue, right? How can we increase your just like steady, consistent baseline? And it comes down to having a set, you know, offering a set package and to where you're not customizing everything for everybody. Mm -hmm. So everybody always tells me that. And then, you know, they realize over time that they can pinpoint like, this is the process we go through. Yeah. So, like I have a process, like, so my CFO clients range in terms of revenue and team size and industry, but ultimately the process is the same for each yes. one, right? And sometimes you have to work with someone else for that person to be able to pull that out of you and for that person to be able to show you that. Yes, even though maybe you're adding some extra tweaks or some strategy, the process, the foundation is still the same. You're still doing the same things and we can really package it, like you said, into two or three different offerings and really help people a lot better than keep trying to customize, reinvent the wheel and, you know, making all of us <laughs> crazy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Do you think the the best system to start with, if people are listening to this and they're like, I want to, you know, systematize my whole business, which I mean, I certainly do too. Yeah. Do you think that the client process, the client delivery process is probably the first one to start with? I deeply believe it. Like I, like I said, and you agree as well, everything needs to be documented, systematized and have a process for it. But I really like to start with the client 
portion of it. One time, one thing is that I really like to break things in, up into bite-sized pieces. And sometimes client work can take the biggest time um, out of all of our daily schedules. So once we get that time back from the client work, once we have a nice established system and process that we can just go through step one, step two, step three for each client, it reduces the errors. It makes sure that the client is getting the same consistent service from each person, no matter who is in there or not. And it just makes everyone feel more comfortable with moving and doing these processes into other areas of their business. So I always say, just start with one area first, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the client area. I like to start with whatever the client is saying they need the most help with first. So if a client comes to me and they say, oh, you know, our biggest problem is in the marketing department, then we will look at that part and we'll start tackling that and making some systems so that we are getting consistent results each time. But for most people, it is in the client and client onboarding, client offboarding, client management process, because that's where things can you know, you're adding in other people outside of your company into the mix. And that's when things can kind of start getting crazy with 10 emails a day or, <laughs> you know, back and forth. Um, what are the things that we promise this person? And what is the person telling us that we, we need to give them more of? And, oh, this person's asking for updates. This person's asking for meetings. So it's very easy to create standards for that process because it is the same no matter what business that you're in. That's what I wanted to ask about was the marketing process. So for me, I had to go through that process probably a year and a half ago or so to streamline the client delivery process, because that was where the bulk of my time was going. This was back when I was still solopreneur Mm -hmm. and doing that enabled me to not only serve our clients better, but start to bring on a higher level client and still maintain a high level of service but then also to hire team members, right? So now I have two part-time bookkeepers and a full-time CPA on my staff who handle the back-end accounting for my business. And I'm in the process of hiring a tax person also. And so something I've done, because I've I've handled the tax work, um, something I have done as I do my daily tasks is writing down, like what are the specific things I am doing related to tax work. And then what I did to take that, I took that and wrote a job description based on the task. I was like, okay, these things I may still keep, but these things I'm going to outsource to somebody else. And then I'm able to hire someone in and I have a clear or a clear idea of what they're going to do for me. So I did that. And then as I got the client delivery part under control, I just turned around to something else being out of control, which for me has been marketing, right? So I am trying to grow my business pretty fast, to be honest. Um, I just always have big goals and I like to work hard and do big things. Um, But I have found that the marketing piece has been really difficult to streamline. So like we've talked about the client aspect, what are your thoughts on like the marketing systems? Would you mind if we did like a sample exercise of how we'll work with a client? Yeah. Okay. So I would say, okay, for your marketing, are you doing it in-house or out-house? In-house. For the most part, I have a podcast producer. Thanks to the podcast producer. They're going to edit this video. And pretty much I have had like some marketing work done like on a project basis. And then I recently, a few months ago, hired a VA who's more specifically helping me around marketing, but we're okay. still figuring it out. Someone in the figuring it out stage, I would start by asking right now, what is the most profitable area for with, when you're marketing? What's producing the most results? Oh, okay. So this is, this is like a really fun exercise. I'm so glad we're doing this. <laughs> so when I think about my marketing where I get my CFO clients is honestly kind of a mix. So it used to be, I grew based on referrals and networking and that still is the case, but I, there's nothing wrong with referrals and networking. But for me, I wanted to figure out if I do these activities in the sales and marketing area, then I get this result, right. And get a more predictable way to bring revenue in. So What has been working for me more recently is when I do speaking engagements, 
podcast interviews, stuff like that, where I get in front of a new audience, because I find that people, when people hear me speak, they realize like that finance can be approachable and fun. And they want to come and listen to my podcast or follow me on Instagram or be a client. Okay. So what I'm hearing are three main areas. You said that referrals. So we don't want to forget about referrals or let that slip to the wayside. And since that was your main source of business, I think that's a great thing because that means you have customers. So we would set up a referral pipeline of what do you do to get referrals? How, what are the things you do? And usually when people are going to get referrals, they will have like, and that's part of our offboarding process that I usually do for the client process. So this is kind of like a extra thing in there, but we would say, okay, after this client has finished working with us, we're going to send us this form that's connected to our dashboard <laughs> and it's already automated after each client. We're going to send this, them this form to fill out and it's a testimonial form. And what do we do with those testimonial forms? And maybe at the bottom of your testimonial forms, you might say, um, list three per people that you could refer me to. Oh, stop. Or however, so good. yes, however you usually ask for referrals, that is what we would put onto that form. Um, you know, because we want to just remind people of our main thing of business. And if you are getting referrals, that sound like your main thing of business with the networking, but networking can also tie into the podcast guesting because that's kind of something similar. But I wanted to hone in on the referrals portion first. And we would set up a whole process for that. Like, what are the questions that you like to ask people for when you're getting testimonials feedback? Let's get videos of them doing that testimonial feedback. And that's, like I said, that's all part of the client delivery process because that falls under the client offboarding process. What you're saying is so on point. And I don't know if you work with clients who do this, but I don't like asking for testimonials for whatever reason. I that's why it's just, automated. <laughs> I know. And so you're saying that and I'm like, my gosh, if it was automated or if my VA did it for me, so you could take my like, my second guess, my self-doubt and like, I'm second guessing myself and asking for feedback. Cause like, again, I'm a perfectionist. I don't like mm -hmm. negative feedback. I still try to ask for feedback, even though it's hard, right? Because it's important, but it's not something I do consistently because I have this resistance. So I think that is an amazing point is like taking it out of my hands and recognizing that's a weakness, but also an area where I can probably grow a lot. Yes. And that's where, you know, you would get your referrals form, but sometimes we just need to nudge people in order to give us those referrals. And so that's what that is. It's a nudging. It's a, it's a soft sell. Um, you're just asking that person, okay, you know, who could you refer me to? Sometimes you can put a number or you can just ask that person to reach out, but it's of course at the end of the testimonial, or it could be a completely separate form after they do the testimonials. And there can be an automation. If this person gave you three stars, then maybe you won't ask for the referral. But if they gave you four or five stars, then you would ask for a referral. So that we would just go through your whole process, the questions that you usually like to ask people when asking for testimonials and referrals or how, you know, what does the process usually look like when you get a referral? Is it just random? Um, yes. Because, you can, okay, so if it's just yes. random, then I would say kind of like ask, ask the people who randomly gave you referrals, like why and things like that. So you can start getting into like, you know, how did they, what kind of environment were they in that they wanted to give this referral? But I think really what's going to give you those consistent results with referrals are putting it onto either the testimonial form or the separate form after the testimonials about, okay, you know, who could you refer me to? Or, yeah. who, you know, who do you think I would be a great fit with to help them with their business? That's so simple. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess that was what people always call me in to do as well, because they're like, you take the most technical things and you make them simple. You take something that I'm saying like, oh, we need to do all this and this and this. And then you're just like, no, tell them if it's complete or not. <laughs> it can be that simple to tell the client this is complete or this is not complete. You don't need this whole paragraph of what we did. I was like, clients don't want to know all the weeds of what you did. They hired you because they want to know did this get, job get complete. Circling back to your other question, you asked about the marketing portion. So it sounds like you're testing, you're doing some guest interviews and things like that. Now I see the process of guest interviewing and there is a process and she does the same process each time. So you would, we would just really map out like, or you, I can ask your VA because a lot of times as the business owner, if you're not doing the day-to-day -day of the marketing, we need to have the person who's doing the day-to-day -day of the marketing to do those particular um, 
SOPs, well, those documentations, those standards, what are you doing day-to-day -day task? And then once I either talk to them or have them listed out, that's when we would upload them into our tool and we would start marking them as tasks and labeling them as such. And I'm sure, you know, your VA is probably like, she has to do some research. So then she would maybe do a screen capture, a Zoom, a Loom, or, you know, if you have a MacBook or so, you can just capture, record your screen and say like, okay, this is the thought process I'm going through while I am trying to define who would be a great person. I saw that I went back into our interviews. I looked at these metrics and I saw that this type of person was giving us the most conversions. So I took that and I said, okay, maybe we need to target more of this type of client. And then I took that information and put it into um, the search to search for other people, other podcasts, other guesters or anything like that. But if you are hiring out because you said you had a podcaster that, did, that do a lot of things, um, that can shorten the pipeline for that because now you have someone else that you would just kind of do like an automation for where, okay, I know each month this person is going to, they're just going to put things on your calendar. <laughs> and so you know that maybe I just need to update and block off my calendar so that they are synced and matched. And I might do that. I might set an automation to review it each month week at this certain time to make sure that we're getting the same things at that time. I'm glad you said like review that actually, because that's what, as I've hired someone to help with marketing, that's where I mentioned, because I use ClickUp for my project management. And so I'm trying to automate, like she'll pull together a list of shows to pitch. And then I go through and review the list and make sure I like the show. I feel like it's a good target, a good fit. And I like the topic, right? And mm -hmm. so automating that, but like managing my ClickUp, I mean, it just gets to be crazy sometimes because I have so many tasks to do. So yeah, I think just like documenting that and then like formalizing the process and um, mm -hmm. sort of like in my mind, bringing this back to like the original thing, like this might sound like it's totally unrelated to potentially selling your business, but it's really not, right? It's not. Because a successful business, I know as a business owner, I know how to get clients, right? or I should know. And so I should know if I do this for my referrals, which I'm not, I'm clearly not doing well. So. <laughs> well, it's an area for improvement. Yes. And it just helped you with that. <laughs> yes. So I know if I do this to get testimonials and this to get referrals, and if I do this process to go, you know, podcast pitching, um, and then like, if I do this process for bashing my content maybe for the podcast and Instagram and all the places that we do that. Um, then I have a repeatable system to bring clients in Correct. that someone else, maybe not for the podcast interviews, but I mean, maybe they could, but someone else could step into my shoes and execute on that process. Exactly. And, and so it is all related and it's all important. And even if you don't want to sell doing this, with your marketing systems, I think will help you to be able to like bring on team members. So you're not responsible for the sales machine always. Increase right? your profits. I actually, actually had a client who emailed me the other day and who was like, you know, I'm, I think she is a year and a half or so into being full-time in her business. And she said, we're just dead sales wise, like nothing coming in. It's almost like when I started my business, I feel like we're that slow. And then I said, well, what were you doing mm -hmm. months ago? She's like, well, I was so busy. I was training a team member. You know, I was pretty much just keeping up with Instagram. And I was like, that's it, right? Yeah. You got to figure out like, what are the activities that you have to do consistently to keep keep your sales pipeline going? Yeah. And so that goes for you just having a profitable business, but also selling it one day. So, And those systems that. help you to, so that you don't have that error of forgetting I used to do this and that's what was giving me the leads to make the sales. Now it's like, okay, this is already inputted and it's telling me, alerting me each day this week, you need to be doing this so that I don't forget in the midst of all the little things because sometimes we get caught in the weeds of minute details and things that don't move the needle forward. Um, like, you know, sometimes just trying to draft out content or whatever. And we miss and forget and let it fall through the cracks of the things that really are the money makers in our business. Yes. Yes. Like 
asking for referrals and testimonials. <laughs> right? That's so funny. Is there anything else you would tell somebody listening who is considering potentially selling their business or maybe they're just on board with this idea of like becoming more of a business owner instead of having a job? Ah, uh, that's a loaded question. I don't want to get into a whole nother rabbit hole, but um, one of my, the, my educational consulting business was a personal branded business. So I would also say that if you were to go sell your business, take off a lot of, you would have to switch that over to a more generic branding and not your personal branding in order to get the highest profits. That um, is a really good point because so many of us, we start off having a personal brand. I mean, I, I still do, right? Like my business is literally called Young & Co. Luckily it wasn't my name, but my face, I was, you know, that main person of the business, my face was all over it. But when you go, that's something that you have to schedule to start swapping out and you have those customers in the pipeline. So you don't have to be that front for face anymore. You can just be on the about section, but it's that slow moving away from, you know, you being the face in the brand to now you being the CEO. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming you think that's important because someone buying your business if your face is all over it and then it's like a sudden shift to somebody mm -hmm. else's face, that's going to be hard for them to step into your shoes, right? Well, it is hard. I spoke to other business owners as well. And when working with clients and they told me that, you know, when they maybe sold a different business, it was a little bit harder and people wanted them to stay on board or on board longer after the business was sold so that all the clients wouldn't lose because they were the brand of the business. Mm. That's a good point. In your business, in the educational business, did you have to stay on for a while after? No. So the person who purchased my business was in the educational realm as well. Um, but we did have a clause in the contract where it, he was supposed to phase out some of my like face on the main page and kind of redo those things. And I mean, luckily I had some materials that didn't have my face, but it still had the branding on it. But without I'm not a big stickler. So I know my branding is still a little bit somewhere on that about me page. <laughs> but, but it's like when you go to sell a business, you kind of don't want that either. Because in that person's uh, realm, you don't know if they're going to do something good or not good with the business. And you don't want your face to still look like you are the owner of that business. You want yeah. to be able to transition out eventually. That that's a really good point. I had one of um, my clients sell a few years ago and you have, I mean, you have to get on board with the idea that they're taking your business baby and they now own it and they can do whatever they want to with it. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't have to ask your permission because you don't own it anymore. In this case, they, the new buyers ended up um, letting go of a bunch of like longtime clients and just switching up a lot of stuff about the business. And you maybe don't want to be associated with that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting too, that you say this because that has been on my mind lately, not so much about changing like my business name, because, you know, I've said this on the podcast before, I'll, I'll probably sell, maybe sell one day, but like not for a while, but I've still thought about like switching over to having more of a personal brand and then separately a business brand mm -hmm. so that if I want to you know, sell, or maybe I can even have like a social media team do the business brand stuff, but then I still have my own brand of Sarah, the entrepreneur who has this podcast and who does these speaking engagements, who maybe writes a book one day separately from my business. But mm -hmm. I don't, here's, you want to know the funny thing that is my hangup for doing that? What? My name, this is going to be ridiculous. My name, Sarah Young, is really common and I literally cannot find a good username. So anybody listening to this, if you have any ideas for a username for me for Instagram that isn't already taken, hit send me a DM. I want to You know, you make a good point because Sarah Young is very <laughs> yes. that is very common. Um I would just say that you could, you know, you could brand yourself based on what you're doing too. You can still use Young and Co. And you might do a business rebrand for your CFO business and then have, you know, kind of maybe transition it over there. Yeah. Okay. So my last question, I ask everybody this question, but I like to ask just from a fun money perspective, because I think 
a lot of a lot of the times we don't actually think about how we're going to have fun with our money. We just think about the responsible things like we're going to save it and <laughs> invest it. So what is like a life upgrade that your business is currently affording you or you want to have in the future? And as an example, mine is my lake house with a boat, which I don't currently have, but I will one day. <laughs> So you hit the nail on the head with that one too. I'm that person who's so responsible where I'm just like, mm, all those things don't really matter. Uh, I do want to develop a, a house from the ground up. So that's kind of like a fun money type of thing. And then I also want to do like a business in first class flight uh, with my nephews. So oh, I think yeah. that will be really fun for us to do a, a nice trip. Isn't it funny? Like we talk about what do we want to spend on ourselves? And there's this like part in our head that's like, no, yes. we only do responsible <laughs> things. But like, that's, that's the point of it is to live your life. But I think building a dream house sounds amazing. So I think that'll be good. And a first class trip somewhere, like sign me up. And it's not even like it costs that much. Cause I'm like, I've definitely spent way more on mentorship than on a first class flight, but it's just that idea in your mind like oh I'm spending this on this flight versus oh I'm spending this on my business <laughs> yes well I, I totally feel you I know pretty much anybody listening to this will feel you too okay so where can we find you how can people work with you all of that good stuff I've created a special page just for your listeners they can go to tasklygroup.com slash profit and prosper and if your listeners are thinking hmm I want Shanice to help me in my business. They can go over and book a free business call assessment. Or if you want to do it more on your own, I'm offering your listeners the free video mini training if they sign up for my three steps to automating your business. And for anyone who would love to connect with me on LinkedIn, you can go to my website as well, tasklygroup.com slash profit and prosper, and you will see my LinkedIn button at the bottom. Love it. So we'll put the link for that in the show notes for sure. And I just want to say thank you. I feel like it's hard to get a behind the scenes of somebody who has actually sold their business and... I love that you are now taking what you have learned and are helping other people so that they can increase their profits and sell it hopefully for millions of dollars one day. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. And I had so much fun um, just chatting with you and helping you to get those testimonials and those referrals. Yes, absolutely. It's like on my to-do list. I kid you not, but I'm going to have to outsource that because lots of internal resistance, but that's a conversation <laughs> for another day. All right. Thank you. And I'll see everybody back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Now I want you to go take some action. What's one thing you can do this week to create more profit in your business. Send me a DM on Instagram at young co CFO and share your action item with me. If you have a question or topic you'd like me to dive into, or if you're feeling empowered about taking charge of your finances, let's continue the conversation. Go to profitandprosper.co to submit a question or topic for me to talk about on the show. And because we all profit and prosper better with friends, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe wherever you listen, and share the episode. Make sure you tag me at youngcocfo on Instagram so I can give you some love, and I'll see you in the next episode.